0: I hope that you're trusting the Lord for that today, that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can think or ask. He is able to set you free, to set your loved one free, and to bring you both into liberty. We're gonna trust him for that as we continue our time of worship through his teaching. You can be seated. And again, thank you so much for being here. I wanted to take a moment, uh, I did not do so during the welcome, just to explain our predicament, for lack of a better word. We are um, First Baptist Daytona Beach. We are currently one church meeting in two different locations. That has been an anomaly that has puzzled people for several years now. But we are one church, and the time is coming when just about a mile from here, we have 230 acres that we are in the process of developing. Uh, many things happen every single week, much of which we can't see currently, that really has nothing to do with seeing a building, but has everything to do with ultimately seeing a building. And so in in the weeks to come, uh, the tentative date is October, we will begin to see dirt moving and uh, trucks and tractors and. All sorts of fun toys that guys like to watch uh, go about its business begin to begin to move into the property and we'll see a building uh, begin to be erected. And as I said at the, at the outset, next Sunday there's uh, a, just an incredibly important bit of information that Pastor Les is going to share with us so that we can um, know together and understand how it is the Lord is working and what are going to be the clear steps for us to take uh, moving forward. So, with that behind us now, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. And, uh, boy, it's so good to be with you this morning. And I wish that we had weeks to spend in the book of Galatians. We do not. So we're going to try to take a, just a big, juicy nugget out of the book of Ephesians and, and, and get everything that we can from it. And as you turn there, though, let me, let me say that yesterday, I was taking my daughters to go do some batting practice. And my oldest daughter took me on a little bit of an adventure. She's learning to drive. And so I, I tossed her the keys, and when I do that, when I always toss either one of them the keys, there's this sense of panic on their face, like, you really want me to drive? And, and they're both excellent drivers. But I tossed her the keys, we began to drive, and uh, as we were driving, God bless her, I love her so much, but I realized she's learning to drive. And as she's learning to drive, uh, what we're doing is recording every minute that she's driving because we have a target. We have to complete 50 hours of driving time. And after we've completed 50 hours of driving time, 40 of those during the day, if you've not yet had a student driver, you'll get to know this, uh, 10 of those hours at nighttime, we have to record the conditions of the road, the weather, so forth. Uh, so that we can present to the DMV uh, a completed certificate of effort put forth and things learned and achieved, so that they can then turn around and and declare her not a learning driver anymore, although she will be learning for the rest of her life, I suppose. Uh, They can declare her not a, a learning driver, but a driver in full. She will have accomplished everything necessary to be a driver. And it's an exciting adventure. It's like I age two years each time, that not really, not really. But as I was thinking of that yesterday and the process that she's going through, both we have two student drivers, and so it's a little like four years every time we get in the car that I age. But as I was thinking about that process of how they're trying to demonstrate and perfect this craft called driving, so that they can be declared drivers, I, I thought of that as we were going down the road in between closing my eyes when we were coming to something a little questionable I thought about how we sometimes can see the Christian life in the same way that we are trying our best to complete a certain amount of stuff and and, and finish a number of tasks and, and declare ourselves right so that one day we will be declared a Christian And we spend our time, we spend our days, we spend our energy trying to earn what Jesus has offered us freely. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about. It's a reminder to a group of people that Paul knew well, written to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. He's writing to them because he's heard of some things that have begun to happen in their fellowships. Where the gospel has been distorted. Let me just tell you that here's what the gospel says. The gospel tells us, it's the good news of Jesus, but it tells us that there is no way that I could ever complete perfectly everything required of me to earn God's favor. And so therefore, what I cannot do for myself, God did for us in Jesus in sending him to complete the work on our behalf. So while we're busy trying to earn our salvation, we forget and lose sight of the fact that we have already been given that as believers, we've already been given salvation that we then live out. So I hope that today uh, really opens a door for you that you might find a newfound freedom in your life as a Christian. That you might be able to come here today And hear what Paul says to the Galatians, and by uh, extension to us today, that you might understand uh, the incredible freedom that has been afforded you because of what Jesus has done. So Galatians 5, verse 1, tells us just exactly what I've just told you in a summary statement. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore and do not be submit uh, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now let's read on down through verse 15. Verse 2. Look, I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law you have fallen away from grace for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love verse 7 says that you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion is not from him who calls you Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul is telling us a lot of things here. And if we are going to understand what he's told us here, in in verse 1 of chapter 5, he sort of summarized what he said in the preceding chapters. And if you kind of took the book of Galatians and flipped back to chapter 1, you would find that right off the bat, Paul is doing something um, to the Galatians or for the Galatians. He is defending uh, what the gospel is. And he tells them something that is it's quite uh, unique to the book of Galatians. In every letter that Paul writes, he generally has some sort of uh, a cordial greeting or commendation for the recipients of the letter. But that's not so in Galatians because what they were on the verge of doing or being tempted to do or being led to do was incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And so right off the bat, he doesn't commend them in anything, but he says, I am astonished by you. It's sort of like um, when you talk to your children and you spend your days and your years talking to your children and explaining to your children what's right and what is wrong and, 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 and there are certain things that you just indoctrinate them with and ingrain in their being and their minds and then they do exactly the opposite of you, and you, you, you don't really come and say, oh, good girl or good boy for doing that was incredibly silly or stupid what you did. Sometimes you just get right to the point and you say, I am astonished that you would do such a mindless thing. And that's the tone that Paul is taking. Elsewhere, he says later, he says, I wish that I were with you so that I could raise my voice so that you would understand how serious the matter that I'm presenting to you is. So in chapter 1, starting there, he is defending the gospel and helping them to understand um, that there is no other gospel except the gospel of Jesus, that he did all that is necessary for us to have salvation. And then skipping ahead to chapter 3, we find that he spends a great deal of time explaining the content of what the gospel is, that it's... It's um, Salvation is by faith and not by works. We don't earn uh, our salvation. We receive it as a gift. And then we get over to chapter 5 where we read from and we find that Paul is taking the time to apply the gospel and help, help the Galatian churches understand how it is that the gospel is applied to uh, their lives. And so verse 1 tells us that there is a very distinct uh, state of being that you have as a Christian. It says in verse 1 again that for freedom, Christ has set us free. And so there's a state of being that we have. But Paul reminds us And the first point I want you to take with you is, number one, is that we have to guard our freedom in Christ. We have to guard our freedom in Christ. That's what the rest of verse 1 is all about. He says, One, stand firm. So Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And the word that He uses is a military term, or um, it might be used of an athletic team that is, that is in battle, that's fighting. It's, it, it carries with it the sense of being alert, to be aware, to listen to what is saying to you, to let the things that you hear be taught. Uh, let it filter through what you know to be right. Let it measure what people say by the Word. So, in other words, stand firm. Guard the fact that you are free in Christ. And then he says another thing. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So there was a possibility, a potential thing that was happening in these churches. Paul had come and preached the gospel and many had believed. And so they established churches in this region called Galatia. But later, sometime after Paul had come and gone... Some people came into the church and began to attempt to add to the gospel. And in their particular situation, it was people who were Jewish people who were coming in and saying to believers, to Christian believers, that not only must you come to Christ, but as you come to Christ, but you also have to live exactly as a Jewish person lives. So you have to keep all of the law. You have to observe all of the festivals. You have to do everything right. You have to keep the law. And the particular thing that they were um, insisting upon was that of the act of circumcision. They were saying every Christian must not just only become a Christian and follow Christ, but you also must listen or, add or live as a, as a Jewish person. And so Paul is warning them to guard their freedom, that they would not slip into this thinking that they could somehow add to the gospel. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, said it this way He said, We cannot add to Christ without subtracting from Christ. We can't add to the gospel without making the gospel something diminished. That's what he says in chapter 1. I'm astonished that you've so quickly turned to another gospel if in fact there was another gospel. There's only one. There's only one way to, to heaven, to and that's through Jesus and the fact that he accomplished everything. We cannot earn our way. And so he is saying, hey, be careful that you stand firm so that you're not tempted to slip into this way of thinking that you would begin a sla- become a slave again to trying to earn what God has freely given you in Jesus. And he picks up the same thought and expands it beginning in verse 2. He says, look... I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, and that's the particular issue at hand when he's writing, then Christ would be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you slip into the thinking that there is some other way to perfect your salvation other than resting upon the completed and perfect work of Jesus, then you've missed the boat altogether. We cannot add to the salvation that we've received. One of the slippery slopes that I've, I've fallen into, and if we're honest, we've all fallen into it. It's that we somehow believe, sometimes we 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 misunderstand that we can somehow make God love us more than He loves us in Christ. Am I right? And, and sometimes it leads us to see our Heavenly Father as a vending machine where we come to the vending machine and we put in our quarters, and out comes a treat, a cookie, a chip, a soda. But what happens, and so our behavior is that. It's coming to God and giving Him this and expecting in return. And then what happens when we go to the vending machine and we put our money in and nothing comes out? Roger, we push and we kick and we scream and we stomp and we call somebody. And sometimes we can see God that way. That I'm trying to, I'm trying to earn your favor by doing this. And we expect that if I do this, then God will do that. And when that doesn't come to pass, it causes us to be angry with God. And what happens is we're kind of in a spiral where we're using God and we're attempting to be a savior of ourselves by our behavior. And Paul says, you are enslaved if that becomes your way of thinking. That you are not free at all. Because you're trying to earn what you have been freely given. So he says, Christ would be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if you, if you say you have to perfectly obey in this way, if you put that sort of weight on the law and obedience then you have to not only just obey that thing, but you have to obey perfectly everything. And that is absolutely impossible for us to do. So you have to keep the whole law. And he says, verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now that causes us a little bit of problem. Because it's Paul saying that you can lose the salvation that you once had. Is he saying that? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked the question. And so we have to take all of the Scripture, and we have to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. And so if we go to the, to the letter of 1 John, we find in, uh, in 1 John that he tells us, John tells us that if we are truly belong to Jesus, that we will always continue to live in obedience to Jesus. Not to earn His favor or His love, but because we have received His love. And so what about this idea that Paul says of falling from grace? Does it mean that someone who has believed has, has become now not a believer? Well, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, there's a verse that helps us understand a, a little bit about what Paul is saying in light of what John is saying in his epistle. Verse 19 says... It talks about people that have stopped walking with Jesus, have stopped following the Christian faith. Verse 19 says, "...that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us." And so John is saying... And we can take it in light of what Paul is saying as well. That if a person uh, goes away from the faith and can do so and, and still maintain some sort of happiness, then they were never a part of the faith in the first place. So back to Galatians. He is not saying, Paul is, that if you once come to Jesus and then you, you try to begin to earn your faith by obedience that you somehow then not are not a Christian any longer that is not at all what he's saying but what he is saying is that you lose the freedom that you have you become a slave to um, earning your salvation and becoming your own savior and so therefore Jesus is not your savior because your mindset tells you that his work was not sufficient I must somehow add to what he did so that I can receive God's favor. So, verse 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So, what is a test What is the test that says, I am genuinely living in the freedom that Christ has afforded me? What is the test? The test is this, that you are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is nothing that you can do to make Him love you any more than He loves you in Jesus. That your salvation and your standing before the Father positionally is not dependent one bit upon your uh, performance. Your salvation in the first place was not dependent upon your f- performance. God does not look down, Linda Sue, and see people who are doing all the right things and said, I'll take that one, and 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 all the rest of you just try a little bit harder, and maybe I'll come and take you as well. That's errant thinking. And if we slip into that way of thinking then we miss, we miss the precious message of the gospel. That we don't do anything to receive it but respond in faith and repentance and say thank you. And so if we don't do anything to receive it, then we don't do anything to perfect it. That's what he goes on to say in verse 5 and 6 that the test is that I am convinced that my standing is right before God because of Jesus. That's the freedom that I have, that there's nothing that I can do to make Him stop loving me. There's nothing that I did to make Him start loving me. And so I'm convinced, that's what He's saying in verse 5, that we eagerly, by faith, we're convinced of the fact that one day He's coming to receive unto Himself all those who are His. Correct? And that one day... We're all going to go and be with Him. And so He says, we are convinced of this and we wait eagerly to receive what we know is coming. We're declared right here by faith. But one day we will ultimately be right before Him in His presence. And He says, we simply wait on that to occur. We're not hastening it along by our performance so that we're doing some sort of dance to Uh, Get the attention of the Father that He might smile upon us. He smiled upon us in Jesus when Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And that is what makes me free. So Paul says, guard your freedom. Understand what you have received. That you're not earning it at all. So, he says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, a very specific group of people, listen, For those who are in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So, what is all of that about? So, when we come to Jesus, verse 6 tells us that there are two um, ways of thinking. One is circumcision, and one is the uncircumcision, or two kinds of people. In this verse, each type of people, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, represent a certain uh, way of of thinking about salvation. Some thought that, as Paul is writing, and they were teaching, that you earn your salvation, and that's represented by the circumcision. And then there were those who came to Christ, and and they just absolutely were um, not dependent upon behavior, they were just receiving His grace, and so he says, neither of those counts for anything, whether I'm I'm morally perfect or whether I'm immorally perfect, nothing changes my position, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to to be right, aren't we supposed to not sin, aren't we supposed to be people who uh, behave a certain way, well, absolutely, but guess what, we don't have the capacity to perfectly behave in all aspects and every day of our life, do we? Don't we still blow it? Don't we still sin grossly sometimes? Well, again, we go to John in his epistle, and John is writing to people, and he says, I write these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, you've got to understand that you have an advocate with the Father who is interceding for you. And so when we sin, Paul is saying in verse 6, that if we were able to live perfectly, that wouldn't change God's love for us in Jesus. And if we mess up and we don't live perfectly, guess what? That doesn't change God's love for us in Jesus. Do you get it? That we're free. And the, the cost of our freedom was the life of the perfect Lamb of God. That we don't earn it. We can't mess it up. We're His and He keeps us. He has set us free. Is that wonderful or not? Doesn't that change tomorrow when you wake up and you say, you know what? I might have a great day today and I I might do a lot of right things. That doesn't change God's love for me. You might wake up tomorrow and it's a lousy day and you kick your dog and you yell at your wife and you slam your car door. Guess what? That doesn't change God's love for you. Now, it will impact your fellowship with the Father, but it doesn't change your position before Him. You are free in Christ. So, He says, guard your freedom. Stand firm and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery that says, I'm going to somehow earn my way to God's favor. I'm going to earn my salvation. Don't do it. Because in essence, you're just as the idolater. In chapter 3 and 4, Paul talks about how before you came to Christ, you were slaved to things that really were not God's, but you were idolaters. But then you came to Christ and He set you free from that. Now don't think that you can somehow add to what He has given you because of your performance, because then you become an idolater all over again. Because what is the standard now is your behavior. You are free in Christ. Now that might leave if we left right there and we just stopped, Paul, and then people would say, hey, great, I can do anything I want to do. I can just go, Woohoo! let's go do it. But then he says, but don't abuse your freedom. So guard your freedom first of all, but also don't abuse your freedom. Starting in verse 7, he says, "...you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth?" The picture there is, a, is runners running a race. And in a race, each runner has a lane. And the picture is the runners are running along and, and one runner would slide over into the lane of the other runner and, and impact the, the runner's stride and so forth and cause the runner to stumble. That's what Paul is saying. That, that you were running well. You were doing well. You believed the Gospel wholly. And then somebody came in and started teaching you that, that the gospel of Jesus wasn't enough. That you could somehow add to what Jesus has done. He says, someone has, has hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, what you're tempting, or what you're attempting to do By following the false teaching of of performance based Christianity, what you're tempting to do, what you're tempted to do, doesn't come from the one who called you in the first place. God would never say to you, I'm sending Jesus so that I can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So do not think that he's going to somehow change that position and say, I know I sent Jesus because you could not do. For yourself, what only I could do for you in saving you from your sin. But now, I I want you to try, just try, just try to earn the gift. And you can't. Paul says, that doesn't come from God. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's a phrase that Paul uses several times throughout his letters. It's where just a little bit of error... That's what the, the leaven represents. In the dough, when they were making dough, they would save a part of the dough for future batches of dough. And they would work that leavened dough into the, the lump of dough, and it would, it would begin to affect all of the, the dough. And so Paul is saying, hey, what, what you're tempted to believe is errant, and it did not come from God. And you have to be so careful because it's subtle error is so subtle, and it creeps in, and it begins to affect and impact uh, the, the the whole bunch. I learned this past week, and it really was astonishing, that more than half of people that live in the area that we live, more than half, more than half, get that, more than half the people that live where we live are unchurched or they used to be a part of a church and they no longer are. And then I thought, well, gosh, what is, what is that? Um, how, how does that uh, look, what does that look like in our area? And so I began to look around and, and, and found that including some people who would call themselves churches that are not churches Um, including um, congregations that would be universalist, meaning everybody gets in, and uh, other uh, errant um, religions, including those, just for argument's sake and for simplicity, that there are 465, did you get that? 465 congregations where we live. If you look at that on a map, and I encourage you to do it sometime, it looks like somebody took a pepper shaker and shook it over the map of all the churches that, that cover our area. Every, every corner has a church on it, it seems. Sometimes there are like three churches in a row on the same street. There's a church, there's a church, there's a church. And Sometimes this is first church that became second church because they didn't get along at first church anymore. And then third church. That happens sometimes. And I started to think. I started to think, and this was prompted in my heart by because of family. Man, my family sometimes can be... Family's tough, right? Let me just leave it at that. Family is tough. I started thinking about my family and how certain people in my family um, treat one another and um, how um, my family sometimes is is affected by, not my immediate family per se, but my extended family, sometimes affected by racism and... um, just um, people, you just cut people off, and I'm not going to have anything to do with them, and I, I hate this person, and I'll, I'll, never, I'll never be in relationship with this person. Um, yet that, that behavior pervades the thinking um, in the Bible Belt from where I come. It pervades that the people who live in that area, yet every single Sunday they line the pews of churches. And I started thinking to myself has this whole thing that Paul is warning the Galatians about, has it crept into the church where we've allowed performance to displace the gospel? That we say it's not so much Jesus anymore, but we've heaped on certain behaviors and activities and attitudes that people must have maybe the way they dress and we've somehow turned the I I know that the scriptures say the cross is a stumbling block but in the first century it took the world by storm and the way that believers lived among the other people and the way that they affected one another I, I know they were profoundly persecuted but it was incredibly infectious as well It was attractive and so we see thousands of people coming to the faith but we live in a day where it's not like that anymore and I just wonder it's just a what if or perhaps that we have somehow exchanged the wonderful gospel That compels us to love, as Paul says, we have somehow let it be displaced by a behavior, performance-oriented religion that is far different from what Christianity was intended to be in the first place. And could that be why people are saying in the masses, you know what, I appreciate what y'all are trying to do, but that's just not for me. It's not only that. They're just people who love the darkness and they love their sin and that's one thing. But I'm talking about people who once were a part of a fellowship. And they're no longer a part of a fellowship. More than half of the people where we live. And I just wonder if we could somehow get back to the place where we understand that we are free in Jesus and we have a freedom to guard but we have a freedom that we cannot abuse verse 10 let me finish I have confidence in the Lord Lord that he will that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is but if I brothers still preach circumcision why am I still being persecuted in that case the offense of the cross has been removed I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves it's not, it's not so much that he, he despises the people that are doing the teaching, but it's, it's an expression of his incredible love for the people that he had first shared the gospel with. So he says, for your sake, I wish those people were gone. And then verse 13, and we'll close. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, you, you don't get to live anyhow that you want to live. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So in essence, Paul is saying to us, you've been called to be free. Guard that. Don't don't attempt to slip into a performance-based religion that is different from the gospel of Jesus. And secondly, don't slip into the thinking that just because you're free, then you can behave any way that you want to behave. Because beginning in verse 16, Paul says that you need to walk in step with the Spirit. And that if you walk in step with the Spirit, then you'll do the things that the Spirit's leading you to do. That's what salvation is. Jesus came and died for our sins, but as He was leaving, He says, I will send another counselor to be with you. And the word another there is another of the same kind. In other words, he's saying we are still going to be with you. God's presence is still going to be with you in the Spirit. And so Paul says you're called to be free. You're in Christ. You're set free from your sin. There's nothing that you could do to earn it. There's nothing that you could do to add to it. But it does not give you permission to just live anyhow that you want to live. You still uh, must obey, not out of obligation to create merit but out of gratitude for what has been done for you. And the expression of that, he says, is summed up in the fact that you love one another. And so that brings me to, let me connect that to maybe we've allowed performance-based behavior religion replace the gospel. And when somebody doesn't perform or behave the way we say they should perform or behave, then we sometimes cut them off, right? And that's what he's saying. If you, if you, um, if you be careful that you don't devour one another and, and turn this whole thing that Jesus set up and founded into something different than it was intended to be. And so we're left with a question, and we'll close with this. First of all, it's 10.02, or shortly after 10.02. And we've been praying for the harvest. But before we pray for the harvest, I want to invite Darren to come. And, and I want to say to you that maybe today um, you have some questions. Maybe today sparked some questions in you. Uh, maybe the question uh, before you today is, is one, do I have this freedom that Paul is describing? Do I even understand what that's all about? Maybe today would be the day that you need to place your faith in Christ for the first time and begin a journey with Him. And we'd love to talk with you. There's a place called Next Steps right out in the lobby. We'll be there and we'd love to talk with you. But secondly, and and I think equally as important as coming to Christ, is repenting of the need or the compulsion to think you can please God and earn His favor. You will constantly live in fear of not being good enough. You will constantly live with the anxiety of an uncertainty of, of, of am I Am I accepted? you will not have the the quiet and certain confidence of a faith of one day being with Him because you just don't know, are you living up to it? And I want to invite you to repent of that and to come once again to, to live out this faith that brings us freedom, that says you cannot earn it, you cannot lose it, just live it out and love one another. So I invite you to respond as we get ready to sing, but first we're going to pray for the harvest. Uh, Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Thank you that you've called us to this, this task of taking the gospel to our city. And Lord, we're learning that it's a difficult situation that, it, that we're facing, and so we need to be gospel-free people. And we need to be careful that we're pointing people to Jesus And not to some standard of behavior that we ourselves can't even attain. Father, I pray that today you would give us the freedom and the courage to respond to you. To begin a walk with you. Or to begin a new walk with you. That is not performance based or behavior based. But it is solely based on the work of Jesus. And so help us to respond as your spirit leads us. And we pray all this today in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.